I, I have not been in a classroom for 25 years, but I still have those dreams that it's a week before the final exam, and I never went to class, I never got there, and everybody else went, and the curve is going to be really high, and I'm going to be bringing up the bottom. I still have those dreams, and why do I have this? But anyway, get out this and turn this over, and uh, let's look at the backside of our notebook. There's really important information back there for us, and it is really good for us to remind ourselves of what's true. You know, as Scott was praying, um, he was talking about this situation in which we need to shepherd our hearts, and we're going to walk through each of the five disciplines again. Um, I want to share with you that we all know this, that things are going to come up in our lives throughout our day um, where we need to actually shepherd our hearts during the day. We'll have a conversation with somebody. We'll have a phone conversation with somebody. We'll have um, an event that will happen that's rather unexpected. We'll get surprised by something um, in a way that we weren't expecting. It's not very pleasant. And uh, we need to shepherd our hearts in that moment. Um, We'll have something that's very unpleasant occur to us. And it is essential that we have the ability to shepherd our hearts right then and right there. Um, Because we need to withhold what is our, our natural, earthly, fleshly response and bring a response that's enabled by God's word. And we can only do that, um, we can best do that, we can do that the best when we have already been shepherding our heart that day, when we started our day meeting with him and preparing ourselves so that we're ready for when something occurs. Um, We never know when it is that we're going to find ourselves in a conversation or find ourselves in a situation with one of our kids or our wife or our roommate or whatever else it is, or our brother or our sister, And um, our ability to engage well with them and and utilize the gospel and all of its grace and all of its means um, is enhanced and it's enabled and it's assisted when we've started with truth in our mind, truth about who God is and who we are. And um, that serves us well. That is one other reason why it's so important for us to shepherd our hearts, because we don't know what is coming to us the minute we step out of our bedroom even. Uh, to start our day. Um, When we do step out of our bedroom, having started our day well, we're ready to have those conversations with the people that are around us. Uh, We're ready to talk carefully. We're ready to talk lovingly. We enter into conversation with people, and patience is more with us than otherwise would be because God has been telling us about his patience with with us um, through his word. We're ready to be kind because we've already dwelt on God's kindness to us. We're ready to forgive other people because we've spent time thinking about how God has forgiven us and how great our offense is against him and what he's done to forgive us for that. It puts into light the offense that someone else has against us. If if they stumble into sin and they offend us, um, our response is going to be so much better when we've reminded ourselves how great our offense is against God and he forgave us. So we, we shepherd our heart. We are ready to be... Um, to encounter the things that God brings to us. Um, and we're ready to take that same heart into ministry at this church, or in your small group, or anywhere else in this church. Let's say you're a small group leader. Sometime down the road, you get invited to be a small group leader. You spend time being an apprentice or a co-leader, and, and you get a small group, and you're, you're leading that small group. 
And you know you need to be shepherding your heart every day. You know you need to be caring well for those that you live with, um, shepherding them well. Somebody calls you and they say, would you, would you meet with me? I, I need to talk to you about something. You say, sure, I'd love to talk to you. So you get together and um, he presents a situation that you know the answer for. You know the answer. He's, he's got his issue and you know the scripture that you need to bring to him. And you know the principles from God's word. Um, but at the same time, it's true that you have not been in the word for a few days and you haven't had a decent conversation with your Savior about his kindness to you for, for a few days. Uh, and you haven't been re- reminding yourself about his kindness and his goodness to you. You know the information to give to that person. And this person is very needy. And um, so what he gets from you most likely is going to be information. He's not going to get care because you haven't been caring for yourself. So he's going to get all the right words in all the right order. And they're going to come to him with less in them than they would if you had been shepherding well. So your ability to care for people well um, starts with your ability to care for yourself well. And you're, you're dealing with people who desperately need your help when you're in a small group. They desperately need your help when you're in student ministries. You're dealing with people who desperately need your help when you're in next generation ministries. Um, so whether it's helping the little ones hold the string as they, they walk down here to find the four-year-old class or whichever it is, um, they need you to be a person who's caring for your own heart well. Um, one of the other disciplines that we've looked at, our fourth one, is our qualifications as a man. And again, First Timothy 3, verses 8 through 13 is, is a great place to go when you need to be asking yourself, what kind of person do I need to be aiming for? Today I want to share with you a little bit about one of those qualifications. And again, the deacon qualifications are that, that a man is a man of dignity. He's a man of um, dignity. He's a man who is not double-tongued. He's a man who's not fond of sordid gain. He's a man who is not addicted to wine. I want to just talk for a minute about what it means to be not addicted to wine. Um, The man who is addicted to wine is a man who has gotten to a place in his life where his thought process is consumed with either the use or the acquisition of alcohol. And he thinks a lot about that. And he thinks about it to the extent that it affects his judgment in a lot of other things. It's on his mind. It's it's a part of his thought process. And it has an influence over his ability to care for himself, care for his home, and care for the body around him. And so when a man is the kind of man who needs to use or feels as if he needs to use alcohol on a very frequent basis, um, he becomes the kind of man whose judgment and his ability to care for other people because of that impaired judgment um, is hindered. And so a man who's ready to be serving in a deacon role at a church is a man who has a right use and a right view of the use of alcohol. It can be used thankfully, It can be used sparingly, it can be used wisely, it can be used to the glory of God. But we need to be men who are careful in the use of any vice, especially something that has the ability to impair our judgment, either when we're using it or when we're planning on acquiring it, um, so that we're ready to shepherd the people around us. And so we're going to talk more about that this spring, but that's one of the basic things we want to keep in front of us. If you're one who does use alcohol, please make sure that you're using it in a way that brings honor to the Lord, again, in a way that's thankful, in a way that's with self-control, in a way that's with joy, in a way that it allows you to still shepherd those who are around you. 
The fifth of our disciplines is the hermeneutic. When we open our Bibles every day, we're, we're taking information into us from God's word. And we want to be men who, who are increasingly able to take that information into us well. We always need the Holy Spirit within us whenever we have God's word open. It's always good to ask him for his assistance to make us able to comprehend and understand what it is we're reading. Because we're reading a, a divinely inspired, a divinely written document. And we're created beings who, who don't have within us the ability to, to understand God's word by ourselves. We can't just read it, pick it up and open it and read it and understand it well. We actually need the Holy Spirit to illuminate the, the pages of scripture for us and give us a mind to understand it. Um, but at the same time, we need to be men who are increasingly able to understand the word and able to use the tools that are available to understand the word and who know, understand, and understand how to read the word and how to look at the word and understand what the, the main point of a passage is. So at this church, we have this, we have build, we have the trust, which used to be H3. We have Grace Bible Institute, GBI, we have Shepherdology. All of those are aimed at helping us be men who are more equipped ourselves so that when we do pick up the word, we are able to work together with God's spirit to understand what's in front of us. We want to encourage all of you guys to, to always be on a journey. We have never arrived. I know that I, I open the Bible every day, and when I read the Bible every day, there, there's a part of me that says, you know, I don't know this as well as I, I should, and I, I don't have the abilities that I need to understand this, and I, I need to be growing. So I encourage you to adopt the mindset of always seeking to, to grow in your ability to handle God's Word well. Lastly, I want to talk just a little bit more about prayer and a way that we can enhance our prayer life. Um, part of shepherding your heart before the Lord is, is communicating back with him as you are reading his communication to you, his revelation to you, and his word. And part of prayer involves confession, um, agreeing with God about what he already knows to be true about you, uh, the ways in which we have fallen short from his standard for how we should live. And um, one of the ways that, that I've found to be very helpful in, in helping me confess well is thinking through what con, um, repentance looks like in light of confession. Because it's been very easy for me for a long time to spit out a confession. Lord, I'm sorry I did whatever. And then I move on. And, but what's been very helpful for me is to think about what true repentance from that sin looks like. If you have your Bibles, would you turn to... 2 Corinthians chapter 7. 2 Corinthians 7. This is a great passage to help us understand the, the earmarks or the signs of biblical repentance. And it's really good to keep these in front of you when you're confessing sin before the Lord. Um, 2 Corinthians 7 verse 11. Paul provides a list of characteristics of what biblical repentance from sin looks like. It's really good to keep these in mind when you're confessing sin. It's really good to remember that God, by his grace, has given the believer the ability to walk in repentance and walk in newness of life. Look in the middle of the verse, and we can see that, and I'm going to use the terminology that's provided by the New American Standard Version. There is a, a vindication that's, that's demonstrated by a person who is walking in repentance of sin. A vindication means that there really is, is um, a lessening, there is a decrease of the, the evidence of this sin in your life. And it's really decreasing to the extent where it's, it's, it's something that's not describing you anymore. The person looks at you, they see that this is something that's really not part of that person anymore. They're not perfect, but as generally they look at you, that, that sin really is not present. 
So there's a vindication that comes about. And so when you're praying and confessing sin, it's really good to say before the Lord, Lord, by your grace, I desire to vindicate myself from this pattern of sin in my life. I'm confessing this before you, and I know that I want to be a man who, who desires to be vindicated. There's an indignation over the sin. That is an indication that you are repulsed by what it is that you have done. You don't speak of your sin easily and lightly because God doesn't view it lightly. God takes our sin very seriously, and we should too. We should have a a response where we're repulsed and we're indignant over what we've done. We shouldn't talk about our sin in in terms that are are light and easy and and jovial. Yeah, this is just kind of my pet sin that I live with, and it's just part of me, and it's who I am. And I know I need to confess it. So a believer should have a, a level of indignity indignance over what they've done the next word that we see there is is fear this is another characteristic of what biblical repentance looks like that we have a reverence for God it's not the sense that we're afraid of God that he's going to harm us um, because we know that he loves us and he's working all things for our good and we're heading towards an eternity with him but this has to do with a reverence for God a sober awareness of his power and his might and a response that that keeps that in mind that bears that in mind so as we're confessing our sin, we, we need to confess that, this to a God who is, we need to remember we're confessing to a God who is extremely powerful, he's extremely holy, um, and, and he wants us to walk in repentance in light of that understanding of him. The next characteristic of, of biblical repentance as you're confessing your sin is a longing. We need to remember that our sin takes us away from fellowship with Christ. It, it harms that fellowship. It breaks that fellowship um, to a degree. And one who is truly repentant of their sin, one of the characteristics is they desire to regain that fellowship that their sin harmed and their sin damaged. And so as you're confessing your sin, be thinking about, Lord, I, I understand what this did to my relationship with you, and I long for what, um, what I once had. I long for what I had before I stepped into this pattern of sin. And the next characteristic is a zeal. Um, any repentance that is true repentance, that is biblical repentance, involves an output of effort, involves an output of attempt on our part, enabled by God's grace, that we would be walking away from a pattern of sin. If we understand something to be sinful and offensive before God, then we should be utilizing every means of God's grace to walk in newness of life in that area of our life. So as we're confessing our sin, we need to be pleading with God for his grace to enable us to use zeal in our fight against that sin and lastly there's an avenging of wrong and uh, the idea here is that we're no longer seeking to protect ourselves that we're ready to incur whatever the cost is whatever the consequence is for that we shouldn't be running and hiding and and seeking to not be detected or or not be known or not be found out we should be willing to be um, ready to endure whatever consequence the Lord has for us because we fell into that So those are some thoughts about ways in which we can enhance our prayer life in the area of confession and repentance. Confessing our sin is always a good idea. We're not informing God. Um, He already knows, but we are agreeing with him about what what he does already know. And these are ways that can help us to not only confess that sin, but, but walk in repentance to that. So hopefully those things are very helpful in having us shepherd our hearts. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Hope you had a great time in your uh, small group. Uh, if you would have been present at the small group uh, that I'm in, you would 
be able to go home now because everything that we discussed in our small group is going to come out right now. So uh, I'll go ahead and dismiss my small group. No, but really, I, it truly is. Uh, it's about shepherding the heart. Before we jump in, let, let's go to the Lord one more time and uh, <clears throat> pray my voice and my nose participate that I could speak for uh, the next, I guess we have till 10, so two hours for, uh, just joking, uh, but uh, you don't want what I had earlier in the week, but this is, I think I'm good at just lingering, but let me pray. Father, I, I do praise you, Lord, that you have given us your word, that we can know you. Father, I'm reminded as I say that of John 17, 3, this is eternal life, that we would know the one true God, that we would know the Son, Jesus Christ, that He has sent. Father, we come to You as men desperately desiring to love You more, to know You better, Father, just to walk in a way that our goal is to please You. Father, I pray the words that come out of my mouth would be clear. Father, I pray most of all, Lord, that we would leave here loving You more because of the time we spent than when we first sat down here today. And I pray this in Your Son's name. Amen. As you can see from uh, the top of your uh, pile, uh, today's lesson, The Discipline of Shepherding Your Heart. You should have one page that's uh, fill in the blank, front and back. The second page is You Talk to Yourself. It's a quote from Paul Tripp. And then two pages with spirals, and then, of course, your homework. Uh, but the, the Discipline of Shepherding Your Heart, what comes to mind? When you hear the term shepherding your heart, I, I think it's a vernacular at Grace Bible Church that if you've been here for a while, you're very familiar with, and you may have a particular meaning, but what do you think about when, when somebody stands here and says, talking about shepherding your heart? But today we're going to talk about two aspects of it. We're going to talk about shepherding your heart when your Bible is open. In the shepherding of your heart, once the Bible is closed, you're about your day, you're at work, you're at school, you're doing whatever you do, how are you caring for your heart in the midst of the day? You know, as you probably well know by now, Build has, uh, this is the 12th year of Build at this church. There's been a, a few tweaks over the years, but, but basically the core disciplines have never changed. And the desire of the elders of Grace Bible Church is that this would be an environment where we would be men and women in Wellspring that are shepherding their heart, caring well for their own hearts. Scripture has the expectation that we will care for our own hearts well. Scripture has the expectation that we are going to bring ourselves before our holy God, Jesus Christ, in his word, and care well for what we are putting into our, our minds, what our, thought, what our thoughts are. In, in my preparation for today, I have prayed that what we talk about today would not just be something that you apply in your own life, your own heart, but this would impact your home, this would impact your, you at, at work, this would make many impacts in various areas of your life, because I think you all have the opportunity to help other people shepherd their heart. 
as well. So I hopefully you'll be prepared by today. Let, let me tell you where this message first started from. Uh, and there's really four things that, that originated this first message. Uh, this message, we've been teaching it, I think, three or four years. But this message comes from years of evaluating my own heart, evaluating when I am prone to sin, how I may fall into the sin pattern. It comes from years of being a biblical counselor, sitting with other people who are walking through the muck and the mire of life and just, just listening to their stories. Years of sitting in coffee shops just talking to other believers. But, but where this lesson got onto a piece of paper was Scott and I sitting in Paradise Bakery that way a few years ago. And we were just talking about sin and the deceitfulness of sin and, and the heart. And we started talking about disappointment, unmet expectations, talking about discouragement. And... Uh, this message that you're going to hear today flows out of that time in a coffee shop, two brothers just talking about how we can be ensnared into the sin that, as Hebrews tells us, easily entangles us. You know, as we talk about uh, this today, we're going to talk about desires. And uh, Josh, a few weeks ago, if you weren't here, gave an incredible message from James 1 about the temptation to sin. I recommend, if you have not heard it, go listen to it. But uh, it, it's just about desires. It, it, I'm talking about right now, I'm talking about good moral desires. Think, things that are wonderful. Uh, but when it goes unmet, even a good desire it's easy for me to begin to think I deserve something. God owes me something. My spouse owes me something. My roommates owe me something. Somebody owes me something that I don't have right now, and then we can go and we can demand it. Uh, and right now you might be saying, I'm not a demanding guy. What do you mean by that, Tom? L- let me tell you how subtle demands can be. I am willing to sin to get what I want. I'm willing to do something sinful to get something I want. Uh, I'm willing to get angry if I'm not getting what I want. I'm willing to be impatient because something does not happen at the time I want something to happen. There, like I said, there are many wonderful things to desire. For some of you in the room, you, you might desire to have a wife. And for others in here, you may have a wife and you would just wish you had a more godly wife. For some, it might be you desire to have an education. These are wonderful desires. You may desire a car, a new car, money, job, promotion at work, ministry, a particular ministry. You might desire a certain physical appearance, good looks, friends. You may desire something as subtle as, I want people to respect me. I I want to be comfortable. I I don't want to have to deal with the pain in life. You may desire with being accepted, to be served. You you may be desiring, if you're married, you, you might be 
desiring that your wife would be the one serving you. Many of these desires are good, and they're okay to desire, but what I have found in the midst of disappointment, things not going the way you thought they would, the things not going as you expected, they can turn into <coughs> sinful patterns in our lives. I, I have seen what started as a subtle desire, a good desire, turn on into a full, full pursuit of sin. I believe the message that I'm bringing you today is truly exposes the reality of Jeremiah 17:9 that the heart is deceitfully wicked. We we are so self-deceived. This I would want you to know too. This message that I bring is something I need to continue to speak to myself. Uh, I do not have this figured out. Do, do not sit there and say, "Wow, Tom's got this all figured out." Uh, no, I, I am still a beggar trying to help other beggars find the bread. I am desperately in need of help. Uh, one thing I, I want to start with, and again, if you were in our small group, I wouldn't have to say this, but uh, this starts with examination. Second Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, tells us, Paul's telling the church in Corinth, you need to examine yourself. You, we need to examine ourselves to be sure that we are acting in a way that we are in the faith. With that little introduction, let me jump into the handout. <clears throat> Excuse me. And it starts on hand, handout number one, shepherding my heart when my Bible is open. And, and here, I'd like you to write, why do you, why do you read the Bible? Take a minute, go ahead and, and jot down. Why, why do you pick up the Word of God and read it? Hopefully daily. Hopefully, not daily, every other day. Why do you read? You may think that's an odd question for me to ask. <clears throat> but... If you open your Bible and you have not already asked yourself this question and answered this question, I think you miss many of the blessings that the Word of God has for you. You, you miss many of the blessings of shepherding your heart. And, and I, I want to just make a, a, a side note here, especially for guys with, with children at home, about why do we read the Word of God. Uh, maybe even for, for those with gray hair that have grandchildren, why do we read the Word of God to our grandkids? Every time I sit with my grandkids and we're going to read a Bible story, I give them the drill, why do we read the Word of God? Why is it important for us to read the God? And, and it's cute to hear their answers. They've been doing this now for a few years. And, and it's sometimes <clears throat> a very routine answer they can give. But... Uh, I do want them thinking about this, but I want you to consider the verse John seventeen three. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. The Word of God is where we find the God of the Word. So, as I'm still taking the side note, if you are shepherding the hearts of little ones, it's not enough just to sit and read them stories. 
they need to understand why. I've sat with too many adults who did not learn this as a youngster, why we read the Word of God. Uh, But there are several great reasons for reading Scripture. And we must, if we're shepherding our heart, we must equip our hearts with a good answer to that important question, why am I reading the Bible? And again, I'm back on your handout. We read the Bible so that we grow in our knowledge of God, grow in expressing our love for God as well as to God, grow in my enjoyment and delight in God, grow in my fear of God, remembering He is the only one that has the power to send us to heaven or to hell. (coughs) Grow in my understanding of my need for God. Grow in my relationship with God. And I think they can all be wrapped up into this. To grow in our holiness. To grow in our holiness of life. At this point, all I have talked about is shepherding your heart with the Bible open. And that does seem to probably make sense to all of us. But the rest of the time I'm going to spend today is, how do you shepherd your heart? Once the Bible is closed, you're about your day, you've, you've left your home, you're at work, you're at school, you're doing the things you have to do. Uh, I hope what we spend time looking at today will help you recognize sin patterns, and I desire to give you some practical things, how to be caring for your heart once your Bible has been closed. And the second point on the outline is shepherding my heart throughout the day. And it's listening to myself, my thoughts, my reasonings. And it's the diagram, it's the spiral. And the spiral we are going to start with, the first one is the the reddish one, not the bluish one. But before we get there, I'm going to read a quote. uh, And it's in your handouts. Uh, And it starts at the top of the page, you talk to yourself. This is a, a quote from Paul David Tripp. And I think this sums up how important you need to realize how you speak to yourself. No one is more influential in your life than you are, because no one talks to you as much as you talk to yourself. People laugh at that statement, but I'm really quite serious. You're in an unending, incredibly important conversation with your soul every moment of every day. You interpret, you organize, analyze what's going on inside, outside of you. You talk to yourself about the past, you talk to yourself about the future, you talk to yourself about what you experience in the present. Obviously, this is an internal conversation. If you had this conversation aloud, they would probably put you in a ward. Uh, The older people in the room would know what that is. We really don't have those anymore, but uh, you would go to the ward. Uh, But that's why it's so dangerous. You often don't realize that you're saying things to yourself, but you are. You are saying things to you that will shape your desires, your actions, your theology. What are you saying 
to you about God and your circumstances? Do your words stimulate faith, hope, and courage? Does your talk stimulate doubt, discouragement, and fear? Do you remind yourself that God is near, or do you reason with yourself that given your circumstances, he must be distant? Here's the question. How wholesome, faith-driven, and Christ-centered is the conversation that you have with yourself every day? Do you remind yourself of your need? Do you point yourself once again to the beauty and practicality of God's grace? Do you tell yourself to run toward Him in those moments when you feel like running from Him? No one is more influential in your life than you are because no one talks to you as much as you talk to yourself. What will you say to yourself today? God bless Paul David Tripp. And he goes on to give you some reflection questions that I I would encourage you to spend some time and look at. So back to the handout. I desire, I deserve, I demand. Let's start here with thinking biblically about my desires. And again, just a brief definition about desire. It's to want something. It's to long or to hope for. Desires don't necessarily have to be evil, but let, let me say something in light of that. Because some <coughs> desires are evil. And I, Scott, I appreciate what you said about repentance, but I want you guys to think something about evil desires. It is not sufficient to just repent of action. If you have an evil desire... We must repent of evil desires. Uh, For some people, that is quite a foreign thought because they don't think that they have sinned. And so they don't see a need for repentance. So let me say this again. If you are entertaining evil thoughts, those thoughts must be repented of. You must agree with God. God, to think like this is sinful. To desire like this is sinful. I hope that makes sense. I see a lot of people that do not see a need to confess that as a sinful thought. So, just a little side note. Uh, But thinking biblically about what we desire, we must think rightly about where our desires come from. And here's something. Here's a grid to think about. Where does your desire come from? First uh, Peter one twenty two. Is your desire coming from a love for others? Second Corinthians five two. Is is your desire coming from a longing to be with the Lord? Second Corinthians five nine. Is your desire coming from your goal to please God? Is your desire coming from Ephesians 1.4 to be holy and blameless in His sight? Again, Hebrews 13.21 Is your desire coming out of a desire to be pleasing in God's sight? What I might hear myself tell myself throughout the day concerning my desires. We have the ability that We hear ourselves telling us what I desire, 
I truly deserve. And I can then begin to take something I believe I deserve and make it a demand. Sometimes this can be subtle, and sometimes it's not subtle. And when we get caught in the I desire, I deserve, I demand, we need to take our minds back to the five verses we just looked at. Is, is this desire, am I thinking about others? Am I, am I loving others? <clears throat> am I desiring to be pleasing to the Lord? Am I desiring to be pleasing in His sight? And we're going to start with the, the first spiral, the, the one that goes from red to green. And at the top it says, I desire, I deserve, I demand. And what takes place, again, let me start. This is the wrong approach. This, this is not what you want to do. No, you don't want to do it. It gets better on this one. This one, this is the bad example. Uh, or a friend of mine will say, that's just bad, Mike. This is not what you want, guys. Disappointments, discouragement, and despair. That is the center of this this spiral that's going down. Uh, you know, Ephesians 4, I'm sorry, James 4.1 tells us, what causes fights and quarrels among us? Is it not our <coughs> desires? It doesn't say evil desires, it says our desires. And, and what you have on this side are attitudes and you have actions. Uh, an attitude of pride and arrogance, uh, we can be demanding in our action. Wise in our own estimation, we become a lover of self. We're without peace, and we're boasting and grumbling. We can become bitter, and we could backbite, and we could devour each other. Uh, <coughs> If you see yourself in here, if you see the easy triggers in here, spend some time in these scriptures for for you recognize what scripture says about these triggers that may cause this. But what happens though is you first see yourself as disappointed. And as you're on your way, heading in this spiral to discouragement, there's a little verse right here, 2 Timothy 3, 4, and it says, lover of pleasure. Let me stop and just talk about that for a second. If this were a hot stove and I put my hand on it, we would all say, Tom's going to remove his hand quickly because it's not comfortable. When, when we are in life circumstances of a desire not being met, we have the ability to desire comfort, desire comfort and pleasure because we're not getting what we want. We're on our way from going from disappointed to being discouraged. Uh, and look at it, their flags. Disappointment's a warning flag to us. Discouragement's a warning flag. And here's some of the things, in this lover of pleasure, this lover of comfort, here's where some of the things that I think us as men can fall into the trap of. Could be TV, watching a lot of it. I'm just going to check out. Could be internet. Uh, not even necessarily uh, stuff that's okay to be looking on the internet. It could even be the pornography on the internet. But I want to bring myself comfort. Uh, for some people, it's spending money. It's spending money they don't have. I'm uncomfortable. I'm going to go buy a new electronic gadget. It, it could be eating uh, in the midst of 
unmet expectations and a desire. Uh, it could be a downfall just to, to eat. Uh, anything that's an excessive behavior. I've seen it where people just pour themselves into a job and they work to an excessive amount. And I've seen it to the other end where all of a sudden now they're spending 25 hours a week playing video games or golf. It, but it's, it's the excessive behaviors. It could be drugs, alcohol. Uh, but at this point, you have reached this flag of, dis- of being discouraged. And there could be anger, and the action from anger would be disputing, anxious and fearful, you become criticizing of others, you become prayerless, you're, you're not asking God, you're not going to God in your dependence. It makes me think of Matthew 5, 3, blessed is the one who recognizes their dependence on the Lord, the one that is poor in spirit, the one that is bankrupt. I can do nothing, Lord. I am here. You're the only place I can go. Where else would we go? But we can become hopeless and this despairing, and, and, you know, another word for despairing uh, that you would hear is, is depression. And God has clearly given us means of grace. And I, I'm just going to kind of take a side note for a second just to kind of give you some some interesting thoughts on uh, on this despair, this depression. I, I was talking with a medical doctor about in August and uh, he, we were talking about prescription of medicine and, and, and he does prescribe medicine for people that are that are disappointed, discouraged, despairing, and he said, you know, I realize most people, if they, if they just had friends to talk to, they would be fine. So guys, here's my point. Don't cut yourself off by, from the means of God's grace. Whether it be your small group here in Build, if, if you're not in a small group, I would highly recommend you to get in a small group throughout the week. But all of us, need brothers. Think about your time just this morning. If, if your time was as sweet as I know I took away from our small group, uh, I need the encouragement of being with other believers. Uh, you are not going to find that satisfaction in means that are not God's grace for your life. Let me say another thing about listening to yourself. Martin Lloyd-Jones, uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, wrote a book on spiritual depression, and it is 22 sermons that this, you know, he's, I think he died in 63 or 65, but, so this is before the age of computer and all the technology, but he had a little lady, little old lady, that would sit and take shorthand. And now for the younger generation, they're saying right now, <laughs> what's shorthand? Well, it's it just make little marks, and they can go back and they can read it it's an amazing thing, and I don't know how they do it. But she would shorthand his messages, handwrite them out, and at the end of his 22 sermon series on spiritual depression, she gave them, and it became the book. It's kind of like Smed's book on weight. It was a series of messages that Smedley taught. But uh, here's what Lloyd-Jones says in that book. The problem we have is that we listen to ourselves when we should be speaking to ourselves. Let, let me just give you an example. 
for, for me to listen to myself is to say, this is the worst day I've had since yesterday. Nothing good can come out of today. And, and I could just be listening to myself telling me things that are not necessarily true. But when I talk to myself, it's when I'm bringing the gospel realities, the promises of the gospel. I will never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I have planned all this for good. And it's, it's we talk to ourselves and we tell ourselves what the truth is instead of just listening to ourselves. Because uh, if I listen to myself, I, I can get to the, the lowest rung of how hard something's going to be when I need to be realizing this is exactly what the Lord has for me and this is a wonderful day. I'm vertical. I'm alive. This is good. Uh, the the uh, diagram is a sin pattern that starts with the failure to shepherd your heart. Any, any questions on this diagram? Does it make sense? Can you see yourself between attitude and action? Okay. And here's the thing. If we continue and we don't shepherd our heart, here's in this spiral, can just get tighter and tighter and tighter. And it's, I'm, I'm easily disappointed. I'm easily discouraged. My Bible reading seems useless. I doubt God. I doubt God's faithfulness. I doubt closeness to God. Worship is hard. I question God. I question God's purposes. I'm hard-hearted towards others. The fruit of the Spirit of my life is absent. And we can swirl and swirl and swirl in this spiral day after day after day. And uh, that is why we not only need to be shepherding our hearts with His Word, but we, we need to shepherd our hearts with, with other believers. But I want to now look at the good news. That's the blue. This is the right one. Wrong, right, wrong, right. Okay. This is important. This is a tool for correct thinking, and uh, here we go, and this should be on your handout. Shepherding my heart, thoughts, reasonings, diagram is the blue spiral, I desire, and what I truly deserve. What do you deserve? Uh, If you were in our small group, you would know what you deserved. It was well quoted, uh, but I relinquish my perceived rights. There's no longer any demands. Uh, the The picture of it is: why don't we take our Bibles and go to Second Corinthians chapter twelve? It's a verse you're very, very familiar with. If anybody had anything to demand, it was. Our brother Paul, who penned much of the New Testament, but Second Corinthians twelve, I'm, and I'm gonna because it's it's so rich. I'm gonna start in verse one, and it says, "I I must go on boasting, although there is nothing to be gained. I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up in the third heaven." Whether it was in body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. 
And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, I'm sorry, do not know, was caught up to paradise. He heard inexpressible things, things that man is not permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself, except about my weakness. Even if I could choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain. So no one will think more of me than is warranted, but what I do or say. Verse 7, to keep me from being conceited because of these surpassing great revelations there was given to me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pled with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, my power is made perfect in weakness, therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. So, so here we are, these no demands. Paul was able to say and repeat the Lord's words, God's grace is sufficient for me. So if you sense yourself in an area of demanding, you need to recognize God's grace is sufficient for you. On your outline again, it should say what I must tell myself when my Bible is no longer open throughout the day, what I truly deserve. And I'm going to just go through a few Proverbs. Proverbs 16, 1 and 2. To man belongs the plans of the heart, but from the Lord comes the reply of the tongue. All a man's ways seem innocent to him, but the motives are weighed by the Lord. Your responsibility is always subject to God's sovereignty. Well, you can be self-deceived. God determines the motive. But our dependence is on the Lord. Proverbs 16.9 in, in his heart a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. Uh, again, this, this is us having no demands, recognizing this is the Lord who is in control of our life. Proverbs 28.26 He who trusts in himself in a fool, but he who walks in wisdom is kept safe. The fool will perish because the object of his trust cannot save him. So here we are in the midst of having things not going as we planned. We need to have no demand. Because the object of our salvation is not in ourselves, but it's in the Lord who has given us this day. James 4, 13, now listen. Today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city and spend a year there carry on business and make money. Here's the thing. This is not a condemnation on planning, but but it's rather when we leave God out of our plans. The next point on your outline, what I must tell myself throughout the day concerning what I truly deserve. This, This is huge, guys. We must remind ourselves what it is we deserve. And I'm going to go kind of quickly for the sake of time, uh, a few verses. Romans 2, 5, and 6. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath, when his righteous judgment will be revealed. God will give to each person according to what he has done. 
Scripture is clear. We deserve God's wrath. If you are not receiving God's wrath today, this is a pretty good day. This is better than what I deserve. Amen. Uh, Romans 5, 6 through 12. Tell you what, why don't we why don't we go to Romans chapter 5? You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. Since we now have been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men, because all sin. Scripture tells us we deserve death, we deserve wrath. This is a good day. This is so much better than what Scripture tells us we deserve. I know you're all familiar, and I even saw a t-shirt today, Romans 6.23. The wages of sin is death, but a gift from God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Again, Scripture is telling us what we deserve is death. If I have the same perspective as the Lord in the midst of my unmet expectation, in the midst of things not going as I planned, the failures of my life, I I need to remember the truth. God, thank you for giving me something much, much better than what I deserve. And God's word uh, tells us we deserve death. The worst day on earth is better than what we truly deserve. And and at this point, when we're thinking rightly, and I'm going to come back here, and we're going to start at the bottom and work up the I desire what I truly deserve and there's no demands. When when I recognize I have already received better than I deserve, I can now be trusting. I can be trusting God. I don't need to be vengeful. I I need more strength. I need endurance. I'm devoted to prayer. Self-control, it's overcoming evil with good. I'm joyful. I can be loving, peaceable, kind, humble and gentle, not wise in my own estimation, but thankful, Uh, not seeking my own way, but patient. I I could be content with my circumstances and and utterly dependent on the Lord, asking of the Lord. I could be submissive to the Lord. And, And here we go. It goes from, I have a request of the Lord, I'm obediently waiting for Him, and I'm hopeful because I can trust Him. Any any questions on 
this spiral. You guys are way too easy. It's your opportunity to stump the elder. Uh, <laughs> thank you. No, uh, but it's serious. What about, yes. I can see the red spiral. The words disappointed, discouraged, staring. That, that just makes sense from experience. Mm. Uh, a little bit more than hopeful, obedient, and request. So could you talk about those three words and why they're in that order? Sure. Uh, here I am in the midst of shepherding my heart. This is the overarching theme. We're shepherding our heart. When I remember what it is I deserve. And, and let's take a topic. I'll, I'm going to throw out a couple of poster child topics that will know what we're talking about. Uh, if you're the type of person that gets agitated in traffic, and now you're going to be late, if you're the type of person that is desiring something from another person, whether it be a wife, a roommate, uh, a teacher, an employer, you, you have this unmet expectation, but you have shepherded your heart, reminding yourself of, this is so much better than what I deserve. It, it's at that point I can go and I can make my request to the Lord, not depending on myself, but, but I'm trusting in him, I, I prayerfully can go and make a request. As I wait on the Lord, because I know this is so much better than what I deserve, I can wait in obedience. I don't need to go be the lover of pleasure right here, because I'm not getting what I want. And, uh, and I, I would encourage you, if, if you see a sin pattern of, in your life, I would encourage you to think, right now, it appears that I'm, I'm loving pleasure or comfort. What is it I want that I'm not getting that would bring me to sinning against my, my Lord and my Savior? But So the obedience comes. Instead of looking for the things that bring me comfort, I, I, can, I can stand firm under my circumstances. And then I'm hopeful because eternal life is the goal. Does that help? Jeff? So for clarification, and I, I think I know the answer a little bit, but what would be some practical ways that we should look to living our life or doing things that would facilitate or... I think these things will actually facilitate the practical things to get it in the right order. But you're going to have to stay all the way till quarter after nine because I'm getting there. <laughs> the practical things. It would be horrible if I just brought you the bad news and didn't tell you. And here's something to try put on. But I, I will get there. That is good. Yes. Uh oh. Two questions. Go ahead and back. Um, yes. Oh, uh, what is it? mean by what I truly deserve on the uh, request will be in a hopeful start. Sure. What what I truly deserve is what does scripture say I deserve? I deserve death. I deserve hell. Scripture doesn't promise me a new Mercedes Benz. <laughs> now I'm telling my age because I used to be a song. Uh, oh Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz? Don't judge, don't judge me. Uh, 
friends all have Porsches. <laughs> Gosh, the gray hair comes out, the wisdom that you hear. That's awesome. Uh, but it, it's, I, I so desperately need to be mindful when things are not going the way I was planning on it. And, I, and I'll tell you, you know what, some of you, it, it's, it's, it's the big things that might be hard. And for me, it's the little things that irritate me. And I need to remember, this is better than I deserve. I, don't judge me. Traffic. You know, I need to be thankful I own a car. Instead of complaining about the traffic, I should be saying, Lord, I can't walk 20 miles an hour on the freeway where we should be going 65. Why, do, why am I complaining? This is better than I deserve. And this sounds stupid, but this is, I have to rehearse to myself, God, this is better than what I deserve. Uh, the, the post office. Any postal workers here? Okay, I can freely speak. <laughs> I, I can go there. This is, this is something as stupid as a 46-cent stamp that I really think is a bargain that it can go from one end of the country to the other for 46 cents. Maybe it's gone up to 48 by now. But, but, but here, I can go there and I can see this line and think, oh, my. Knowing... This letter, I could not walk it. I couldn't walk it to Scottsdale. Why am I complaining about this right now? And, and sometimes, a practical thing, sometimes I'm the guy at Costco, I go to the longest line just to practice waiting. Because I'm bored. Don't judge me. Don't. It's not penance. I, I need to, I, it's, the, it's the small things I need to remember. This is better than I deserve. We've got three families in PNG would love to go to Costco. And, and I'm going to be tortured over three or four people in line. Oh, my evil heart. Stop, Tom. So that's what it, the truly deserves. I, I need to, it, it's the question on last week's homework. You know, whose assessment do you care more about? God's assessment or my assessment? God's assessment is, I deserve help. My assessment deserves, I deserve comfort. Well, I, I need to guard my heart. My assessment is wrong. Make sense? Does that help? Yeah. Derek? Um, how, how do you keep yourself from the downward spiral as it relates to uh, believers um, that are like caught in sin? Or even when you see like apathy amongst individuals that profess faith? Mm. Yeah. Well, I, I'll give an overarching statement. Uh, First, I need to recognize I'm not the fourth person of the Trinity, so it's not my job to convict of sin. Uh, it's my job to bring the third person of the Trinity to bear, and it's prayerfully, and, and it's patiently. And, and you know, Derek, I wish I can give you a really great, wise answer to that, but frequently, if you're caring for a brother in sin, you will find yourself caring about their sin more than they do. And that's heartbreaking. And that's, that is hard. When, when you're bringing scripture to bear on a person's life and you care about their holiness more than they do. 
and, and the thing that you have to do, and what I know I have to do, is realize I'm not the agent of change. I am the instrument God has brought into their life, but I'm not. I'm not the one that changes people. And so I have a really low expectation of what I'm able to do, and I have a real high expectation about my Savior. And that is the only way you're going to keep sanity in the midst of a sinful world. Um, so there, there's a way that we can be broken, grieved, um, sorrowful, yet still not disappointed, discouraged, and despair. Yes. Yes. And it's being thankful. Lord, thank you for using me as an instrument. Or thank, Lord, I am utterly dependent on you bringing another instrument into this. Um, but it, it is hard shepherding. I do believe you're not incorrect. I do believe you can get disappointed. You can get discouraged. Uh, you could probably get despaired walking with somebody that refuses to to change it. You know, I know Scott's here. I think he's the only elder in here right now. Uh, but you walk with somebody through a church discipline process, and there's times where it is grieving a burden that the person will not listen to Scripture. You're not wrong, and you need to guard yourself and to, to realize I'm not the... I'm not the agent of change. I'm just the instrument the Lord's using. Because, Derek, it is hard. And, and I think it's just a, a, a right understanding of what your role is in change. Because you're not nuts. It is hard. And I'm thinking, you know, you working with a lot of high school kids, I, I, I could see where that's disappointing. Let alone brothers in the church I, I thank you for doing what you do brother uh, and, and here's the thing Look, looking at the, the blue spiral if there is disappointment it, it's short lived because you're remembering what it is that, that we have received we've received eternal life uh, we know this is better than what we deserve and we need to talk to ourselves, remind ourselves what we really deserve. They're very short-lived disappointments. Let me speak a little bit before I get to the practicalness. Uh, I, this comes because I, I've met with numerous believers over the years that truly didn't understand what the manifestation of the Holy Spirit in a person's life should look like, and as you look at the blue spiral, you know, much of, many of these words are, are what you do find, uh, loving, kind, gentle, content would be joy, uh, well, there is joyful, peaceable. I want to talk for a minute about what the fruit of the Spirit looks like in a believer. And that's Galatians 5, 22 and 23, if you want to go there. I'm going to just take a, a brief tour and unpack the, uh, the fruit of the Spirit for you. It starts with, 
but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This first word, love, it is a biblical love. It is an action. There are four Greek words that translated into the one English word, love. Uh, this love is an agape love. When you see God's name in Scripture and love is in the context of God, it's agape love. It's a self-dying love. It's a love that he sent his son to die for us. This is not a, a sensual love. This is not a brotherly love. This is not a sorge, which is love between other believers. Love that God's spirit in us is to produce is an agape love. I am willing to die to self. I am willing to take what I want, and I'm going to prefer my brother, my sister, my wife, my child. I show preference to others. Joy. The word joy is used 70 times in Scripture. And almost every time it is used in Scripture, the near context is the joy that we have because of our relationship with the Lord. Our joy was never designed to come from circumstances. Our joy is dependent on our relationship with the Lord. Peace. This is a, a, another really interesting word. I think if we went down to the Chandler Mall this afternoon and did an exit poll and, and asked, you know, what do you think peace is? I'm sure you're going to hear today, you'd hear refugees, you would hear ISIL, you would hear all our troops coming home. Uh, but that is not a biblical peace. That, that is not the peace that we find here in, in the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, you don't need to go there. I will go there for you, but this is the picture of it. Uh, it is a peace that comes from tranquility of mind, that comes from a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. In John fourteen twenty seven, this is right before he went to the cross. This is Jesus' last will and testament. And he says, fourteen twenty seven, My peace I leave you, my peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. Peace be with you. Let, let me have you understand it this way. Let's say your mom and dad have a will, and it says, upon our deaths, our son receives $100. You don't get to go spend that 100 bucks today, do you? Because they're still alive. But upon their death, you get the $100. You can go do what you want. The picture here, Jesus had to die die on a cross for our sins for we could have peace. So John 14 27 is very much like the last will and testament. My peace I'm going to leave you. My peace I'm going to give you. And it's not a worldly peace. It, it's a peace of knowing my relationship with the Lord is right. It's not peace because my wife is now cooking me my favorite meal four nights a week or sex life's great, or whatever you may thinking you will have peace once you get this. Our peace for the believer only comes from one place. And I'll tell you what, if you take your concordance and look up all the places that you find, in, especially in the New Testament, almost every place you read the near context, it clearly says to us, peace comes from God the Father, the Son Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. It does not come from our events. 
It doesn't come from a paycheck that got a bonus. That is not peace. That's worldly peace. That is not saving peace. And that is not peace. That's the fruit of the Spirit. Patience. Well, now that I've confessed my sin uh, of being an impatient person who doesn't like lines or traffic or anything else, uh, but patience is I'm not easily offended. I I can put up with others. Uh, I have to remember, thinking rightly, shepherding my own heart, I have to remember how patient God has been with me. The, the, The one, Jesus Christ died for sinners. And Paul goes on to say, and I say it about myself, and you should say it about yourself, which we are chief. We are the chief sinner. I need to have a right view of myself. That way I can remember how patient God has been with me. Kindness. This is another weird word that we don't understand. So often we'll say, oh, Scotty, just be kind. You know, and what, what does that mean? In, in, the, in Scripture, almost every time you see the word kindness and it relates to God, <coughs> what is going on in the near context is repentance. It's a picture of Romans 2.4. It's your kindness, Lord, that leads us to repentance. We get to be, as believers, God's instrument of kindness. The way you interact in your house, the way you interact at your job, are you an instrument of kindness? Would it it be winsome that somebody would want to say, I need to change the way I'm living. I, I need to repent of this. I need to stop of this. Goodness. Goodness is another form of worship. A great picture of goodness uh, that you would just catch right off the top. If you remember when when Joseph found out that Mary was pregnant, they weren't married. They, they were engaged to be married. They had never been together, uh, and she ends up pregnant. Now, I know for all of us, we would say, the wedding's off, it's a done deal, we're out of here. Uh, you know, you're out running around. And here's what Joseph says. He says to himself, I will marry her and divorce her quietly. He, he didn't want to embarrass her. He did not want to highlight her sin. He wanted to cover the sin. Then what we know happened is the angel from God comes and says, Joseph, it's not like you think. This, this child is from God. You will name him Jesus. You know the rest of the story. But, but here's the thing. It, it, he did not want to make a big deal of the sin. He wanted to cover it up. And, and that's us being good towards others, is, is to help them in a repentance process. Faithfulness, it's loyalty, it's trustworthiness. Gentleness, it's, this is another one. You know, if I come up and I say, Jordan, just be gentle. Or you're going to think if, if I'm saying to be gentle, does that just mean I really talk in a really soft voice? No, that's not what, that's not what biblical gentleness is. Here's what biblical gentleness is. I could sit back and say, God, you're in control of this. God, I, I don't need to control this. God, you are at work in my home. You are at work in my job. You are at work in this mess. I don't need to control this. Uh, we do not understand gentleness, 
gentleness in our English language. You know, I remember, again, telling my age, you know, if you remember the Charmin toilet paper commercials, it's gentle. You know, God's <laughs> word is not telling us to be like a piece of toilet paper. God, God's word is telling us to be dependent on him. I, I can just sit back and relax. I don't need to worry about this. Self-control, it refers to the abilities, the person's ability to have mastery over his desires and his passion. Uh, and now, Jeff, I will answer your question. Some practical ways to help you shepherd your heart. You've left the house. Your Bible is closed. Here, here's some things to think about. First, it is a reminder of what we are told in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. Whether you eat or drink, it's the whatever you do, we do it for the glory of God. So, I need to remember first and most that my, my role here on earth is to be one that brings glory to God. And if you need another verse that, that will help you understand the truth to this, Isaiah 43, 7 couldn't be any clearer. God's word says, I created you for my glory. If our mission in life is something other than being, being the one that magnifies glory to our Lord, we've missed mission the mission. Uh, some things, some practical things. How are you doing physically? Uh, it, it is amazing the number of times I, I meet with people in the midst of things seeming to be out of control, and they tell you they're sleeping three and a half hours a night. Uh, guys, you know, it's tied to sleep. It's tied to what you eat. Uh, if, if you want to be doing well spiritually, there, you, our bodies do play into this. We need to be caring for ourselves. Uh, what are you filling your mind with? You know, what, what entertainment are you watching? It, are, is your entertainment drawing you away? Is your entertainment causing you to be discontent? Is your entertainment giving you a desire for something other than what the Lord has given you today? <clears throat> you know, if you, you know, if you need to be content with the 71 Pinto you're driving, it, it's not going to help you to be reading Hot Rod magazine and looking at all the brand new cars. It, you know, what are you filling your mind with? Stuff that's going to make you grow in discontentment or in contentment? Uh, we talked about this earlier. You know, how are you doing examining yourself? I can tell you, I, 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 used to, I used to be able to tell you I do this frequently. I still do this regularly. But I will go through the fruit of the Spirit and examine myself to see where I'm sinning. Where, where I've lacked love, where I've lacked joy. And, and then I go and I confess it as sin to God. Let, let me just, this is, being we've got the time, let me just give you another side note away from uh, what I wanted to say, but since I talked to you about the fruit of the Spirit, right before you get to the fruit of the Spirit, in, in Galatians 5, 19 and 20, it talks about the deeds of the flesh. God, in his wisdom, did not make this complicated. And, and I'm still talking about confession. I'm still talking about examining myself. But here's the thing. In those two verses, God sums up that every sin, and, and I'm, I want you to search this out, and if you find something that this isn't accurate, bring it to me, because what I have 
discerned from Galatians 5, 19 and 20. Every sin I could possibly commit falls into three categories. And it starts with the sexual nature, whether if it is in the action or in the mind, because it talks about impurity, which, which is how we think what goes on inside. It talks about immorality, which is action. So we have the sensual. The second is false religion. It, it says idolatry and witchcraft. Idolatry, when I want something from somebody and I make it, when I want to be respected, when I want people to think well of me, I can make that an idol. I'm willing to sin to get what I want. That, that's false religion. It's, it's, if we look at Israel and say, how could they be so stupid? They made a golden calf. How dumb are... We can do it over... I just want to sit on the couch. I just want 15 me time. Guys, that is false religion. We're putting something above God. And and the third area is is in our horizontal relationships. It's the fashion. It's the fits of anger. It it is the strife that we can cause. But if if you find it, please come to me. Because as I have tried to examine myself just using four verses from Scripture... I realize every area that I, it is possible for me to sin, God gave it to me in two verses that I can examine myself. And then he tells me in two verses, and this is how the man of God lives when he gets to Galatians 5, uh, 21 and 22. Or I'm sorry, 22 and 23. Uh, prayer. Another practical thing. Uh, to to be doing and shepherding your heart throughout the day is, is to be in prayer. You know, some, some memory verses. You know, Psalm 139, 23, and 24. Search me, O Lord, O God, and know my heart. Try me. Know my anxiety anxieties and see if there is any wicked way in me. And, and I'll, I'll touch base again, you know, because we're talking about when our Bible is closed, but in, in your reading of Scripture, do you, do you strive to memorize verses? Do you strive to, to recognize and recall uh, what the promises of God are from Scripture? You know, he, here's just a few. I, I think we're going to have an equipping hour in January that I'm going to do. Uh, just This has developed out of my, just my private time in reading, but it's going to be called The Promises of God. And that's what we're going to do. But listen to some of these promises. Matthew 28, 20, I'll never leave you, forsake you. Romans 8, 28, God is always at work. Romans 8, 31, 32, God is with you and can give you all things. Read Psalm 136. Ah, his love endures forever. Not only does it say it once, he says it 26 times. My never-ending love endures forever. That's a promise from God. This is a wonderful day. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10.13, God protects us from overwhelming temptation. Romans 8.35-39, God will always love you. Another thing I recommend for practical, uh, spend some time in, in, in a couple of, couple of easy ways to do this. This is Psalm 103, Psalm 145. Rehearse to yourself the attributes of God. That, that it, when, when you're in the midst of trial, I, 
He's a God with benefits. He's a God that's always forgiving. He's a God that's always cleansing. He's a God that's gracious. He's a God that's faithful. Uh, you know, spending time with uh, old dead guys, Joseph, Job, the life of Paul, uh, even people from a hundred years ago, read a biography and just see how these men of God persevered. We can persevere. They persevered. Um, serving others. Uh, another one. Download the sermon that Smed did August 31st, 2014 about remembering your identity in Christ. Here's one maybe you didn't know about. If you go to Spotify, which is internet, download music, you can go to GBC, and that's not the Gentleman's Blues Club. Because uh, it's there, it's there, but it's Grace Bible Church, and then it says worship. You can download the songs that we sing every Sunday, and you can listen to them. And you could be just rehearsing the, the rich words we sing every week. You could take them with you throughout the week. I am blessed by good, doctrinally sound worship. Uh, I think you will be as well. Stay away from the Gentleman's Blues Club, though. It's the wrong GBC. Uh, I, I can't say this enough either. Uh, being close range with other brothers, being close range fellowship-wise, accountability-wise, serve others. Here's an easy one. Make a practice of, of making a, a list of things you're thankful for. You know, here is a, a, a quick Bible memorization. First Thessalonians 5, 16 and 17. Be joyful. Pray continually. Give thanks in all things. This is, this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You're searching for God's will. He just gave it to you. Be joyful. Pray continually and give thanks in everything. Uh, in the midst of this, keep eternity in view. In, in the midst of not getting what you were hoping for in unmet expectations, and there's going to come a day when I'm going to spend eternity with you, Lord. And, and 11, the 11th point I got here is do the next right thing. In difficult situations, what is the next right thing for me to do? I, I t can tell a story years ago. Gosh, my baby child is 37. Uh, this was years ago, and I was in the bedroom reading my Bible. When is the wrong time to be reading your Bible? When you hear one of your children giving your wife grief in the other room. Not a good time to be reading. It's time for me to get up. I need to do the next right thing. That wasn't what I was anticipating doing. It's the next right thing I need to do. Keep in mind, what's the next right thing I need to do? Let me finish it with a, uh, a quote. And I, again, if you would have been in our small group, you would have heard a virtual quote. But I'm going to give you a quote from uh, Spurgeon. And it is, you are saved. Seek to be like your Savior. Strive to come nearer to Christ, nearer to God, and nearer to holiness. Every day, seek to lose yourself more in Christ, to live more completely in Him, by Him, for Him, with Him. Seek to have great heights of holiness. 
deeper self-denial, braver service, more intense love, more burning zeal, and to be more God-like and more Christ-like. And that is how you shepherd your heart. we got four minutes. Any questions, comments? Or should I close in prayer? This is your last chance. I'll pray. Lord, I I praise you, Father, that you know us so well. You know what we need. Your word is clear what we need because you you created us. You know us. Father, thank you for giving us what we don't deserve. Father, in, in light of the evil, sinful world that we live in, may we be reminded this is a good day. This is better than what your word says I deserve. Father, I I praise you for giving us your word that we may know you and that we may know your son, Jesus, who you sent. Father, I just thank you for these men, for their faithfulness, Lord. I pray for their week. I pray for, Lord, as they pursue you. Uh, Lord, I pray they'd be diligent. And and most of all, Lord, I I pray that they would come to, to know you better. And I pray all these things in your son's name. Amen.